Welcome to the Share Meal Podcast. This is Dr. Nairi, and I am here today with a special guest. But before we get to that, I just want to say thanks for listening. I'm so glad that you're here again. I mean, it's 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 you tuning in every single week that just gives me the energy to keep on going. I appreciate it so, so much. And so this is uh, podcast number five of mine, and I am so lucky. I'm really just so lucky to be able to meet through people through people, which really comes back to share a meal in some way. It's it's all connections. And today I have on uh, Jesse Engelbrecht, and he is um, what he, what he is is a high performance coach. Uh, what does that mean? He's with England Squash, and he has a master's degree in sports psychology, but he's also played squash competitively, and his field is really, like what he's so passionate about is mental toughness in squash, but we're going to dig way deeper than what just applies to people who play squash, because squash is a mental game as well as physical, and so is life, and that is what we are really relating this all to. I mean, there's no other sport that brings in so much mental capacity and and strategy, kind of like chess, right? but also the physicality of an intense sport in a box with another human. So you can kind of figure it. It's like, you know, you going to work every day, living in this box with these other people. And how are you going to win in this box? So uh, Jesse, welcome. Thank you, Nairi. Hey, listen, now really well done and launching your podcast. I feel honored to be the fifth person on. So hopefully I do it enough justice. And listen, loving following your incredible work. The Share a Meal Project looks great. I'm learning the whole time from you. So listen, now we hopefully can have a real good chat and feel free to dig in and we can talk all these subjects and more. Yeah. So I just want to like point out here that I'm on a, I'm on a Zoom right now with Jesse and his setup is absolutely incredible. It puts all of mine to shame. So Jesse, tell me just a little bit about like what you've done in this space already so that all the viewers kind of know where to find you. Uh, yeah, sure. So I, I assume you're not talking about my physical setup. I know I've got a mic and stuff in front of you, but my, my whole setup, right? Is that what you're no, asking? No, I'm about? actually talking about like, I, you are in front of the most sophisticated <laughs> microphone. Like, you know what you're doing. Like, you look phenomenal, not just you. I mean, you've got the whole like thing. It's like a whole stage. So <laughs> I, I see this amazing microphone. I see all these wires. I see you sitting there with like nice lighting on you. Like, tell me about <laughs> it. Like you, there's a reason for this. And it's, and what's the reason that you have such a great setup? Well, thank you for all the compliments. What's the, uh, the saying, you know, fake it till you make it, but no, I genuinely don't think I'm doing that. Um, so no, I, I started my podcasting, uh, in COVID, you know, there was nothing better to do than to talk to other professional squash players and dig into the mind. So yeah, listening back to my early shows, they were, they were great, but I wanted just a slightly better audio. I wanted a slightly better, you know, video and yeah, just invested, you know, in, in a decent mic, a decent, uh, I think there's, I don't know what it's called, but it stops like the kind of the little bits of spit going onto the mic and popping. Yeah. Pop, pop screen. That's what it's called. Oh, um, yeah, they're really worth getting these because um, like you could get quite close to the mic and it doesn't pop on the other side. So it sounds really quite nice and clean. Uh, and yeah, just, just loved talking to all these pros and it started to gain a bit of traction. And what I suppose where it comes from is I started taking my podcast and cutting them up into what I call micro podcasts because I'd have some of these 
whatever sports psychologists, elite athletes giving great tips of advice. So then I was kind of extracting two and a half, three minute little micro podcasts and then putting them on the platform and that. So um, yeah, it just, it just started basic and then it just got slightly more professional, not a big investment, these things like a, like a boom for the mic. Um, I think I invested in like the mic that was the, the main kind of investment. Um, and yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just in my kind of my, my office with a bit of different lighting and uh, yeah, just, it's, it's the one of those, you set it up once and then you don't really have to think about it again. I genuinely have not even thought about my setup for about six months. So <laughs> thanks for the compliment. So, you're, so it's always there waiting for you, ready for your your podcast. Literally right behind. I just like pull it down and I've got this little light there. It's all like, yeah, it's like, so when I finish, I'll just kind of, the, the boom arm just goes up there and it sits, uh, up, sits pretty much out the way until I want to pull it down. And a lot the of the lessons arm. I give, yeah, the boom arm, I think. Um, And a lot of lessons I give on, on my app and that I, I need to record my voice, you know, it's no video. So if I get an idea and I go, I want to do a lesson on such and such, I just pull the boom arm down, press record on my computer, and then we're up and running. That's fantastic. Jesse, tell everybody what the name of your podcast is. So I've actually got two. It started as the Squash Mind podcast. Um, so I really dove into all the ideas of squash. And that's maybe where we cross paths at some point with Amanda Sobe, a mutual friend that put us together. Um, and then since then, it's evolved more to the Sport Mind podcast because um, squash is great. I love squash. Um, it's obviously super niche. And I wasn't able to get guests on the show that were, you know, I managed to get like several doctors, like high, like yourself, hopefully we're going to have a future episode. And um, I just expanded to different sports and different ways that people thought about the mind and how to train the mind and good habits and behaviors for mental training. So yeah, Squash Mind podcast or Sport Mind podcast. So two floating out there at the moment. Excellent. We'll definitely put that in here too. So people can go check it out, but I did go check it out, of course. So I've, I, I, I've been really digging into this because, you know, I, I work with professional squash players as well. We, we share one person that we both work with top leader, Amanda Sobe, number one in the U S number five in the world. And she just has been kicked down and has come back and, uh, She's she's on a path for even greater success than already, but but not only winning on the court, winning off the court is really where she's kind of settled, and and you have a lot to do with that. And so I I read on, I saw on your um, topics of your blog that you have these four A's of optimizing the mind. So if we're really going to dive into the mind right now, because the mind is a very strong organ. And mm. it kind of, you know, is, is second thought for athletes, you know, first it's, it's every other muscle and organ, but let's talk about the mind a little bit. Totally. So, yeah, I think, um, first thing to, to say, I think it's becoming a lot more pop, not popular, but a lot more acknowledged. Um, I find I'm, I'm, I'm getting so much busier and working with more, lots of requests. So that's a cool thing to start with, but yes, the mind tends to be one of the last things people talk about. And I'm going to start with a bit of an analogy, if you don't mind. It's, it's something I, I've started to use lately when how we train the mind. And I like to think of it, you know, we're standing on the edge of, of a bit of an overgrown garden and we've got all these paths running through the gardens and we've got some really well-trodden paths and we've got some paths that aren't so well used and some that are becoming disintegrated. And just because a path is well-trodden, it's really easy to use. And we, we see that well-trodden path and we want to go down it, right? But maybe that's a path that leads to destruction. Maybe those behaviors and habits are not the healthiest ones. But the cool thing about our mind is we can get out our mental gardening tools and we can create our new path. So if we realize there's a destructive path that's really easy to go down, especially under pressure, or especially when we get that conflict in our life, 
one of my goals is to to work with players both on and off the court and, and in their lives to go, okay, let's identify your paths. What are the paths of least resistance? And then we drill into the idea of are those paths leading you to positive or destructive behaviors down the line? If they are destructive, right, we need to look 90 degrees the other way. And then we go, mm, that's a bit overgrown. And there might be some scary snakes and animals and horrible things in there, but we know it leads somewhere. So then we need to get to work with our gardening tools and start to forge that new path. So that path of the destructive behaviors can become overgrown, less used because it's not well-trodden. And we need to start to form these new paths. That's pretty much basic neuroscience 101, right? But I love that analogy because it's really simple. And I think a lot of the teenage athletes I work with can see that going, ah, so we actually have a choice of how we can retrain the mind or retrain our thought patterns to go on a more positive path that leads us somewhere down the line. So um, yeah, I don't know if that's going to lead you down a few more questions and the four A's, I can talk about that in a sec if you want. Uh, well, I thank you for that opening right there. <laughs> it definitely does. So the, these paths that you're talking about, and, and I'm going to bring this back to like the proper terminology, what much might be neural pathways. And so these neural pathways, they might drive you into certain directions and you can retrain them. And I've heard this several times. But come on, mm -hmm. it's not easy. How do you retrain these? And how many times do you really have to do it to build the new path? Mm. Yeah, great question. Um, there's there's no number to put on this, I'll be honest. They, like, like certain habits, you know, can become easier. Certain habits are harder to attain. For me, to, to retrain your neural pathways, um, get a little bit sciencey here. Uh, you, you know, we've got these, these synapses. So we have a thought, right? And these two synapses have an electrical impulse that fire together. And the more we have that thought or even a habit of behavior, they fire more and they, they get stronger. They get wrapped in this thing called a myelin sheath, which is basically an insulation. And that means that neural highway is really quick and strong and the information passes quickly. And we're going into the world of neuroplasticity here. And our brain is, is plastic, right? It's more plastic when we're under 25, but it's plastic our whole life. And it's, it's continually plastic with our conscious and our subconscious thoughts. Really, I love this kind of stuff. I nerd out about it. But, um, but I always try to keep it really simple. I try to bring it back to simplicity, even though we can talk at a high level here. So getting to this idea that when that path is ingrained, when that myelin sheath is strong, it's about having honest conversations with, with athletes. Um, I think a big part of my job is, is disputing irrational thoughts. Dis disputation is a really interesting thing and something I'm trying to get better at that someone might come to me and say, oh, I, I, I always, this always happens to me. And oh, like, it's always like, you know, that whole irrational conversation. Mm -hmm. And part of to retrain those neural pathways is to firstly dispute it and kind of like, and not not being in an aggressive way, but just de-escalated a bit. So the, the person you work with just kind of comes back to a normal-ish level and you go, okay, so what's, what's, what's within your control? What's not within your control? I do a lot of work in trying to identify the controllables. When we can identify the controllables, that's where we start to get our mental gardening tools out and start to hack away at those weeds. And like, it's hard. You have to hack. You have to go with this. This then gets into the whole territory of habits of, of behavioral habits, thought habits. Um, you know, we can talk about reframing. We can talk about triggers. We can talk about um, like actions you do to try and either let the thoughts pass or how to kind of hold up that big stop sign. And um, last thing I'll say on this, if you want to ask me a few more questions, I love to talk about tools. I'm all about tools. So we can talk theory all day long. 
but one of my main goals, I think when I'm working with someone is go, right, here's a set of tools for this thing that might not be going so well. Let's go and execute on that. You know, until you've maybe executed on it for a fair amount of time, don't come back and say you can't do it or don't come back and say I'm having the same thing. It's like, there's a toolkit. You need to go pick it up. You need to get, get, get the gardening tools out and whack at those weeds. I mean, how could I not ask about the tools now? <laughs> I need to know. I need to know what the tools are because this can be applied in so many different places of your life and food and eating and, you know, goal setting in this mm -hmm. realm is is important. And I think that this plays a significant role here. So tell me a little bit about these tools. Yeah, so there, there's obviously different tools for different situations, but I'll talk at a high level and we can then go into the granular if you want. Um, for me, one of the big things I, I always try to go is like, right, what is your, your vision? What is your end goal? What's that big, shiny, awesome, even scary thing out there? Okay, we get that. We put it in a golden frame. We, we put it up on a wall and we do not touch it because we have zero control over that outcome. There's so many things there. So the tool that I start to get to get people to go is go, right, your next thing, let's get into the pixels. Like, so you see that picture, you see that frame. What are the individual pixels that make up that goal, that make up that big thing? And we start to reverse engineer. And we need to identify, like I mentioned earlier, which pixels are 100% in your control and which pixels aren't, right? Mm -hmm. we, we start putting all that down. We get it on the like our buffet table in front of us, so to speak. And then we start to get into this idea of something I call the implementation intention. I really love this. I, I learned this from James Clear, wrote Atomic Habits. You might've come across this. Um, it's a very simple sentence. I will frequency or I will behavior frequency, time, location. I can, I can give it to you afterwards, but it's, you basically fill in the blank. So yeah. let me give you an example. Um, uh, at at 7 a.m. every morning, I'm going to put my running shoes on by my front door, step out my house and go for a 20 minute run. Like you cannot get more specific than that. Right. One of the big tools that I start with people is going, it's not motivation you lack. It's, it's more about clarity. It's more about let's get really clear about your controllables. Let's get really clear about you getting them down, written them down on paper, like have them post-it notes around. You know, people probably know this. Now I've got other tools that I use, but I'm just using one for now. Yeah. And then holding yourself, but having accountability partners, whether it's a coach or your spouse, or your family to go, I'm delivering on that tool. And I'm going to start to then get that ingrained in my habit. I'm going into my garden and creating a new path here. And you know, they do say a habit takes about 66 days to form. That's a bit of a vague kind of fluffy thing, which is okay. Mm -hmm. But 66 days is committed a little longer than exactly. a week. Yeah. 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 You know, I think a lot of people at one point was like, oh, 14 days is the magic number. It's like, mm, like kind of not really, you know, so they have, I think this comes from usually where I fail. Yeah. Right. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. So yeah. And then, and then if I was to do some work with you, we kind of identified like, okay, so like, right. What, what was, where's the friction? Where's the barriers? Where is the motivation gone? Okay. The motivation's gone. What's that vision that you told me about? Do we need to readdress that? Because if your goal and your behaviors are not aligned as in your goals here, but your behaviors are down here, something needs to change. You either need to go, well, I'm accepting these behaviors down here. So my goal needs to drop, or I need to readdress my behaviors to match my goal. Very quite yeah. simple stuff, but these type yeah. of conversations start to move the person from that path of destructive thoughts and, and similar repetitions of whatever it is to actually gardening that new path that they want. Yeah. Look, I mean, I, I agree with you. And I think that those are some of the tools that, that I would use too, or I do, or I do use when I'm speaking with 
anybody, uh, but let's just like stick to this, this world of squash. Mm. One of the things that I work on is creating a meal schedule because, you know, timing really mm. plays a significant role in performance when you're eating and what you're eating. And although I want people to feel free to make decisions at all of these points, because every day you don't feel like eating the same thing and every day your body doesn't need the same thing, but you need to know what the basics are so that you continue on Mm. your path. And sometimes having that kind of structure keeps you on your path. I mean, here's a great example. Uh, I have a, you know, when you work with with, uh, elite athletes, there's good days and there's bad days, there's wins and there are losses. And sometimes losses can lead to not eating after because of the feelings that you have that are associated with the loss or overeating uh, mm-hmm. after that same same thing. So it's keeping up with that consistency in either situation because I your body, it doesn't know that you won or you lost. Only your brain does, but your body like that. Played, that your body played the same amount of time at the same intensity, and it needs to be replenished with whether or not it was a win or it was a loss. So, how how do you have that conversation with an athlete that is catastrophizing? Right, the loss is a big deal, and the the food is the biggest compromise. What type of conversations do you have? Well, that kind of is my conversation. It is that your your body just doesn't know this. So your brain is is in this space of of wanting to tell you, well, you don't deserve to eat or you need to overeat to really feel good about yourself right now. But your body is saying, I need the same thing that I need after every single game. It doesn't make a difference. And if I want to be the best player that I can be, the consistency, whether win or loss, is what's going to keep me at the top. And the truth is, the most veteran players I have noticed do this naturally without being with, and and sometimes they've done this their entire life naturally. And, Mm -hmm. And I feel like that, it really sets people apart. They might have not been able to verbalize that this is what they do. They don't know that they were really doing this. But when I get into deep discussions with some of them and I and I hear what their what their patterns are or what their routines are, I'm constantly in awe that it mm-hmm. just happened. And now we just need to really push in on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's something that you know veteran players can teach mm-hmm. younger players as well. And when you when you say just happen, I, I find that quite quite interesting because yeah, that comes at the back to the whole debate of uh, nature versus nurture. Are you born with that innate talent that you can just do the things or make those good decisions? Again, I would not, not argue, but I'm going to well, even if we have a bad path, we can retrain it. But those athletes you're talking about, yeah, they 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 garden and that path is is the good healthy habits, and they've they've honed that, and it's just it's the repetition. I, I talk another analogy about putting drops into a bucket. So I talk to my athletes, I say, so right, every time you have, you do a good thing, a good habit, a good behavior, a good thought or reframing or using a breathing method to, to kind of de-escalate the stress, it's like you're putting a single drop in a bucket, right? So that single drop, you don't notice it, doesn't have any difference, but it's a single drop nonetheless. And once you start accumulating those single drops, all of a sudden that water level's rising and it's getting more and more and that bucket's filling. But here's the kicker that I say to them. It's a leaky bucket. That bucket is leaking and there's sun on it. So that that water level is always in flux. You think you've done your good habits and behaviors to a certain point and you're happy with it, 
But if you're not adding more drops, you're losing the battle of your water level rising or staying the same. Because if you stop doing that habit, that pathway, that bucket becomes leaky. That pathway becomes overgrown with weeds. And I just love that idea of, of the, the constant reinforcement in a positive way, not a punishment way going, yeah, I'm, I'm showing up, I'm turning up, I'm, I'm mastering the art of doing the thing that other people aren't willing to do on a consistent basis, even if it's not giving me those great gains, it's only giving me one drop. What is one drop? Hey, but one drop added up over time gets mm -hmm. that water level to rise. So, you know, I, lo I love my analogies, by the way, as you can tell. <laughs> I love them too. And I think that's a really great one to be able to visualize something like that because you're right, one drop. And, and that's the thing. And with nutrition, especially, you know, you don't see the results immediately. And, 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 and sometimes you think like, if I eat this, I'm going to feel better. No, no, that's not how it works. It is the repetition. It is the keeping up with all of the behaviors around eating. And, you know, I just find that eating well or eating the appropriate things every single day with like a 10% variable of what you want is such a more effective method than this whole talk about like cheat days, for example, mm, which is such baloney, you know, like mm. you don't get a cheat day that that can ruin an entire week's worth of work. But if every day you built on those routines and you added in your little something extra or whatever you consider a treat, even though I don't like to look at food as, as a treat. There are days that you want something and there are days that you want something else. And you have to learn how to navigate that as an athlete, you know, even, mm. even um, building it into blocks in a way, like if you are on a heavy training block and then you have a, a, a match or a tournament and then the day after the tournament, it doesn't mean it's a cheat day. It means it's a recovery that now you can maybe have that extra something that you wouldn't have other days. I love that. Well, that that's kind of classic reframing. That's a lot of the, the methods that we use. It's like, how do you slightly reframe it? But I've got a question for you quite interesting because I'm debating on this the whole time. This this world we live in is is just set up for instant gratification. It's like the, the, the quick wins, the dopamine high ranging from social media to all of this. And it's a big problem I'm finding in sports and, and you know, the, the the delayed effect of those positive habits. So I'm assuming you can, it's a struggle in, in the, in the nutrition field as well. It's going to go, yeah, like, you know, the, the instant gratification of everything we tend to get these days and, and just the understanding that's like, Hey, a good thing. You got to wait for a good thing. Like, you know, all those analogies I use pretty much saying that it's like, you got to wait for it. Do you, do you find that a, a struggle, like the, the modern world of the instantaneous stuff and, and eating? It's a huge struggle because everyone's looking for the magic pill. I mean, this is what all these supplement companies are doing. They're putting all of this effort into the magic, the magic that you're going to feel. Let me tell you, you cannot get benefit from a supplement if you haven't built your foundation of nutrition. That's the icing at the very top. You don't start building a pyramid with the peak and then build outwards. The pyramid starts at the bottom. And at the foundation of that pyramid is training, nutrition habits, sleep, right? So if you start filling in the basics, you will see that you've got this down. That supplement, first of all, doesn't work if the foundation isn't there. And second of all, the percentage of what it can give back to you 
is so slim that, that that's not where the effort should be put. It should be put into the foundation. Love that. Uh, so I, I know I'm asking you quite a few questions there, but I'm, yeah. I'm, we're, we're going to dive into this. <laughs> I'm on your podcast, I know right? You, you are so coming on. So um, again, I personally love my athletic greens. I've used them for a while. What's your thoughts on that? Athletic greens. I know there's been oh a kind of debate gosh, on those. Oh my gosh, say this to me right now. That is <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Oh. Is it not fair? Okay. No, that's fine. Don't, don't worry athletic about it. Athletic greens <laughs> is amazing at marketing. They have done mm -hmm. such a fabulous job. I mean, I really think that they truly have done a fabulous job of marketing. I would much rather people eat greens. There is so much more, so I'm sorry, so many more nutrients that we don't even know about yet that are in in these regular greens that you are eating. Right. So it's kind it's, it's the same as like a vitamin C supplement. I'll give you this I'll give you this example. A vitamin C supplement. It has a thousand milligrams of vitamin C, more than that you need in a day. It comes into the body. You take it at one time. Wonderful. You got all your vitamin C for the day. But what came in the package of something that or uh, on its own has vitamin C. I'll use an orange, for example. Mm -hmm. The orange now, you're eating it. It has more antioxidants in it. It's metabolized at a slower pace because it has fiber in it. So you are metabolizing it more slowly. It has fiber in it. So it's giving you added value. There are so many nutrients. Nutrition is a new field. And mm -hmm. we haven't figured, if you've noticed, like new things keep coming out. Anthocyanins, this, that, how do we know? We don't know. We only know that we're just putting all of our faith in vitamin C. What mm. about the other things? And vitamin C, I mean, you you might not even metabolize it all at one shot. You know, you so I, I just feel like there are better ways to get it. And I'll Perfect. even take this one step further while I'm still on your podcast. Drinking orange juice is a lower level of vitamin C for your body because it also doesn't provide you all the nutrients that are in the actual orange and and again fiber is one of them uh so this these so you're missing out on that if you're just having the orange juice so it goes like orange orange juice vitamin c supplement okay that's the that's the order that you would want to get those nutrients in Food first. It just—it's it, just the truth. Food is so important. Stop trying to take a shortcut Love because it. what does it do? Okay, so back to your athletic greens. They do a great <laughs> job of—they do a great job of marketing. I buy them as well. It makes me feel really good when I eat when I take it. I am not drinking it because I feel like I am replacing my greens. I still am eating them, but. I also am not a big lover of water, so it helps me get my water in. And it just, you know, back to you, psychologically, it makes me feel good. And that go. is okay. Mm. Even if it doesn't do what it promises, it's okay to believe in it, right? Talk 100%. a little bit about that. Yeah, like it just again staying with that that's that's how I try and view it. I I, I probably sometimes use it as a bit of a cheat, but only rarely. But yeah, I I for me, it's just those extra supplements going, okay, I'm eating on the whole relatively okay, have a bit of not so great times, but it's like, yeah, it's 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 not the the full crutch. Like some people might use whatever, you know, probiotics is like the kind of the magic pill to solve everything with their gut bacteria and stuff. But there's there's a lot more with food, but I love your message with food. So um, in regard to your question, I, I'm just 
to clarify, are you almost asking about the placebo effect in a way, yes. possibly? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I'll be honest, I don't necessarily use that too much. I think I did at one point and there ain't nothing wrong with the placebo effect, but I think with, with performers trying to perform in their field, this is something I, I've really found useful lately. Again, broad overview, visualization, incredible. I love it. But visualization about 20 years ago was all about um, more the law of attraction. See yourself winning a trophy. See yourself holding this thing above your head. And there was nothing to do with the process. There was nothing to do with like, okay, how oh, do we get there? doing that? Is that bad? Not necessarily bad. There's, it's completely fine. And, and actually, I still do it. I have my vision. I have where I want to go with it. But it all comes back down to what I said before. You've got zero control over that end outcome. And what what I there's two two things I do now with visualization. It's very much again much more process driven. So I will have audio recordings of the athletes performing their skill, and even like talk about their body language and their breathing and how they execute that shot. And I'll get them to run that play in their mind. So they are strengthening those neural pathways. And um, when they studied brain scanning technology, now when you visualize really vividly. The brain can't tell the difference between a visualization and the actual event. The body can tell the difference, but the brain circuitry is exactly the same. So we are strengthening those neural pathways with the processes of how are we doing this? What's our body position? What's our body language? Running these plays again and again and again. And the idea is you become so familiar with it in your offline life. We can talk that like away from your performance that when you step into it and that thing appears, it's like, ah, I feel familiar with this. And again, obviously you've got to go and practice the shot and do the things. Of course, we're not saying visualization replaces the shot, maybe like athletic greens in the food, but it's this, this beautiful reinforcing of it. So that's one thing. And the second thing I'm going to talk about really quickly with this idea about training the mind and mindset and possibly not in placebo thing. There's a big field now that I'm, I'm doing a lot of work in with athletes, which, which is called negative visualization. You actually visualize yourself arriving at the problem you might have had this experience before in your life or it might be a future problem you visualize yourself arriving there you visualize yourself getting it super wrong right and like you bring in emotions you bring in fear anxiety you're actually stirring yourself up it's really quite in depth i think only people who have practiced normal visualization should try to do this and then what you do is you you replace the tape you almost metaphorically take the tape out the player and you put in a new tape you put in the solution so you've visited the problem and then you work on your solution. And now you're training those neural pathways to go, right, if I have, you know, if I'm match ball up at a certain point, or I'm taking that penalty, you know, I'm going to win the match for my team. When you arrive there, it doesn't feel as big of a deal. It's going to be pressure. It's going to be hard, of course. But if you've visited it in your mind again and again, your motor neurons, your muscle memory can start to take over. And, and I just love that idea about you're in a performance environment now. You need to trust your training. You need to, your habits, behaviors that you've churned on for hours and days and months and years should appear in your performance environment. If you think about that in the performance, you're going to get in your way. So that, I don't know if that answers your question directly, but that's a kind of a oh, method we well, use a lot. Listen, I, I love what you are saying. I didn't know that there was a term that went along with this. I naturally do that. You know, I think I'm a genius. That, that's all there is to it. There we I'm, go. So you, I'm, I'm, I must be because I naturally <laughs> visualize like horrendous situations so that when I walk into it, I am able to navigate it. I love that. So if so, I know that I'm going into a meeting that, and I mm. know that it can be going south, I've already prepared all the negative backlash that I'm going to get. Amazing. So that I can 
not be emotional through it. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, where did I read this? Um, a lot of this actually comes from. I, I'm I'm super into Stoicism and Stoic wisdom. Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, these these ancient Roman Greek thinkers, and they used to do this. This was their life. They used to negatively visualize going to the depths of like, well, I'm gonna kiss my child goodnight tonight, and I might not see them in the morning. And how am I gonna deal with it? Like oh, really, really. I, kind I, of deep. I do not go there. No, I know that's that's obviously very deep. That's and we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. I know, and there's just but they. There's loads of examples of that happening. And I think I heard it bear. Someone was interpreting some stoic wisdom and they said, it's it's like you're inoculating your mind. It's like, you know what, as a child, you know what, you might need to eat some dirt and get some germs because you're inoculating yourself. It's like, why would you have a child grow up in this clinical environment that doesn't have any germs? Yeah. And what the guy was saying was the, the negative visualization that the stoics used to do was all about inoculating your mind. You're, you're, you're taking yourself there. You're, you're giving yourself mental germs if we can call it that probably a bad description but oh, I love it. it's kind of it's interesting because then you get stronger you add a different layer you add a bit of an armor suiting to yourself that that makes you be able to respond to those things better so it's it's cool you're doing it so love it yeah well that's great to know um, um it's great to know that this this is an approach and, and i would say that this is a great visualization even for athletes and what they're going to eat again post game post loss preparation like what if you mm. put it with the wrong fuel how do you feel if you're dehydrated going into a match what could those outcomes look like why not just drink another bottle of water you know is it that, that. Is it that hard to get there so mm -hmm. all right so i'm going to back up a little bit because you said you you were talking about the brain mm -hmm. you're talking about like the functioning of it the the size of this brain and, and you know the importance of it so i'm going to talk a little bit about like this the it's full of live active tissue. Mm -hmm. The main nutrient that crosses the blood brain barrier is glucose. A lot of athletes believe that glucose is bad. It's mm -hmm. sugar. You shouldn't have it, but that's what feeds the brain. So if you don't have this glucose and like the brain alone uses over a hundred grams of, of carbohydrates a day, wow. just the brain that that's normal. Okay. So that's not even now thinking about the added amount that it needs for intense thinking mm -hmm. and um and it and it needs fluid so like what what happens to the brain when it's not getting the nutrients that it needs um i'll be honest i do not know that that that's outside <laughs> of my so thank you again lovely setup but i am i'm i'm transparent i i literally <laughs> Sorry if that just took all the wind out of your sails, but I'm being super honest. Right. Jesse, these are things you need to know. I know. I do need to know. But listen, this is part of part of almost what well, like what you said I thought was incredible. Like I didn't know some of those stats that you put to me. And this is where I want to grow my knowledge of this. So yeah, yeah for, for me, the 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 fueling of the brain with the nutrients is definitely a field. Hands up, I am very at my early stages with it. So, you know, for me, um, I wouldn't even want to kind of just make it up on the spot because I don't think that's genuine if I'm being being honest with it. Um, so yeah, that's why I think I've I've only interviewed one other nutritionist on the, my show and I definitely think I need to get you on. Do you actually have an answer for that just out of interest? Because, you know, I love the kind of the glucose and I wasn't aware of that. What what does happen to the brain functioning at that point? Okay, so, so it decreases speed. The speed okay. of neurons. The so what so you you might have heard the term like brain fog. 
memory can be decreased. So even with a 2% dehydration of your body, which a lot of people live in this 2% dehydration. So there have been studies, like simple studies where, where they will ask people to complete a, a simple puzzle, nothing that's difficult, put this puzzle together and, and then do it in a dehydrated, unfed state. Mm. And they're still able to complete it. It just is at a slower pace. And, and so these are the things that, so if you are an athlete and you are going to make a decision one split second slower than you would because of this hydration or nutrition that you're not getting, what could happen? And what can mm -hmm. happen is injury, soft tissue injury, leaning in the wrong, like you went the wrong way. You knew to go the other way. You were one second off going the wrong direction. Even like in basketball, fast break, you take it wrong direction. Now you like sprain your ankle because why? Because you just didn't have enough fluid in your body. Mm. You just didn't eat one extra piece of gummy bears. You know what I mean? Like this. Yeah, totally. Interesting. There, there's, then this is what, when I come back to that foundation a supplement there is not going to help you. No. You know what I'm saying? Like you need that foundation there. And, and you're talking about nutrition, one, two, 3% increase in performance. But what if you look at the additive value every day, one, two, 3% increase in performance, or you look at the opposite end of the, what is the, uh, taken away value what mm -hmm. what could happen if you don't do this an injury occurs a, mm -hmm. an unnecessary injury of course mm -hmm. is what i'm talking about i'm not saying like you know someone takes you out but sure. i mean muscles when they're not fed with the proper fluid they get tight a mm -hmm. tight muscle leads to a tear like these are things that that they're you know you you want to pay attention to it yeah, no. So again, it's probably again full transparency. It's probably my my most unresearched area. I love all these different things. I love sleep. By the way, for me, sleep is like I put that as such a high thing, and I do a lot of kind of talk to my athletes about optimizing sleep and getting sunlight in your eyes in the morning and evening. Blah blah blah, all this stuff. But yeah, I, I'll I'd love to investigate more of the idea of the slowing of those synapses down. That's what it sounds like is happening there. Those those electrical impulses are being delayed somewhere because of the lack of glucose, the lack of hydration at those key moments. And, and uh, those, those electrical, electrical uh, synapses, mm. they're not, they don't have the right electrolytes available. Mm. And they're also not going to fire appropriately. So you mm. need, you need to have your sodium, you need potassium, you need chloride, you need those there to fire off efficiently. Love it, love it. Well, thank you for educating me. And I'm sorry, I, I couldn't no, kind of, you I set me up beautifully. It. You set me up beautifully and I didn't come smash it down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so so brain fog, that is really like that. That's, mm. the, that's the way that you could kind of describe what would happen. And, and you don't necessarily feel it. See, that's the thing with mm. nutrition. The athlete isn't going to say like, oh, I felt brain fogged because mm -hmm. the adrenaline is there. They're in the moment. Like there, you know, there's so many other things that, that are greater feelings that are taking over. But if you really want to get to the heart of what you could have done to prevent that movement or whatever it happened, yeah, you can bring a lot back to nutrition. I, I look at that um, even... Let's let's use squash for example. You don't know how long it's going to last, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you you could have a very short 
game very long and uh, ends up in, you know, all seven matches Mm -hmm. or three, you know, you, you just, you just don't know. And you have to be prepared for the extreme. Mm. Can't prepare. So a lot of people that I speak with will say, well, I felt good in between the first and second match. So I just, I didn't need anything. (laughs) Oh, but, but then you went seven. So what happens then? You know, Mm. so these are the things that you, no matter what routine, the routine is between each match, this is your routine. You drink this much, you eat this much. It keeps your brain functioning at its highest level, keeps your body muscles functioning at the highest level. So why wouldn't you just do it as insurance? Yeah. Well, that, that might come back to the implementation intentions, like being very specific and clear with what you're doing between those matches. And I just want to just go back half step to address brain fog at a mental level or tool that I use for brain fog. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I use that a little bit of that terminology, but yeah, you are you're in the middle of a match and you're going, what do I do? I'm a deer in headlights. I've got nothing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just in a purely reactive phase. So very first thing I get my athletes to do, and maybe links back to the four A's. So I'll just briefly mention the four A's. The four A's are awareness, acceptance, action, and assessment in that order. So again, the awareness of the thought, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm aware that I, I'm kind of not, I'm, I've got the fog. Then there's something called acceptance, but I say dynamic acceptance. Go, okay. I'm here right now. And, and and that acceptance actually grounds you into the moment a little bit. Go, okay, I, I accept it. It's not ideal. I accept it. But this is the key one, the action, the third A, the action. And this is where we get into the tools. Um, For me, I get my players straight away to do sigh breathing. So sigh breathing is twice in your nose. So you close your mouth twice in your nose, relatively deep into your diaphragm. You hold for a second at the top and you, you basically sigh outwards. You relax your neck and your intercostal muscles. You do just two or three rounds of that. It only takes about you know four or five seconds. And the next part of the action is one sentence, one mantra, one phrase. Like what, whether it is, you know, lift your shoulders up, follow through the ball. Um, you know, if we're talking whatever football, like you know, ground your feet. Whatever it is, the most simple, basic thing to do, and that is so powerful. Like like to try and get rid of that brain fog. So it starts with a with a with a, the action is the breathing, the side breathing. Then there's a there's a thought you have to implant that thought you you're trying to wake up that neural pathway you're going I know I can do it I've done it thousands of times before I'm waking you up and then the assessment happens more organically but then you want to assess whether that thought or are you have you still got the fog okay you need to run the cycle again so it's a bit of a four stage cycle um, again I think it's quite by the way this came from George Mumford he wrote a book called The Mindful Athlete so I can't claim it's my tool but I've adapted it slightly to kind of fit the needs of of what I work with so. Yeah. Awareness, um, acceptance, action, and assessment. It's a great little tool. And by the way, the best athletes run that in about half a second mentally. They they can be ah. they can have that assessment, awareness, action. I'm sorry, they can have the awareness, you know, the awareness, acceptance, action, assessment, and it just runs so quick. But it's taken practice to get to that point. So yeah, it's it's not a slow yeah. process that. So I have something that is very similar to that, and I call it eat, drink, think. Okay. And so again, it's, it's during breaks in sport. So it can be a halftime. It can be between matches or between games, depending on what the sport is. It can be, you know, uh, between periods, but that between period time is kind of like what you are saying. The method is first you eat something to replenish the energy that was lost. Then yeah. you drink to replenish fluids. And then you think 
whatever that thought is. Like, I'm not an expert in that, but I think that that's where nutrition and psychology come so close together. That's the intersection right there. But the eat done, get the drink done. And then right before you get back out on the field, on the court, in the office, get the think on. So like, that's a, that's like a great way even to go between meetings, between tough decisions that you're making throughout the day. How are you prepared throughout the day? Even if you are a CEO, whatever it might be, you need to eat, drink, think just as well, just the same. You cannot go into any of these meetings or whatever it might be with brain fog, just because you are intermittent fasting today, you know, you're not going to be a high performer because you are an athlete of life. Love it. That's incredible. I love that. I love that overlap you found. So you know what? I'm already, my synapses are firing off about little kind of future things we're going to do together because it sounds like there's such such a cool little thing. I love that. There's such a, and like I said, going back 10 minutes, it's probably the one thing not ignored, but not investigated enough because I've always maybe been too much of the opinion of, yeah, we can we can think through this and we can have tools to solve it mentally. But what I'm hearing you say, and I've learned an incredible amount in the short time is, but actually if, if the, the hydration and the glucose and all that's not there and the, the electrolytes, no, no matter how much you want to think through this or no matter how much you want to have a great tool to use in the moment, it might be redundant if you don't have the nutrition side sorted out. So I've learned a hell of a lot. So thanks. Well, th- think about it in other situations. How can you achieve what you want to achieve if you're starving, if you're hungry? If you're, if you're so thirsty, like how does your body, your body naturally tells you those are, that's where you start. That's Maslow's law. You Mm. need to have those simple things taken care of before you can get to the next level. So why wouldn't we do that with every, in other areas of our life? Love it. I love it. Great work. Good, good, good. Love it. <laughs> oh, thanks. I feel so afford right now. I, <laughs> I really know what I'm talking about. Sometimes I really doubt myself. I do feel like I fake it till I make it. I mean, never, never, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. No, I love that we're going to be talking even further. I feel like, so this, this is where the conversations begin and they only lead to bigger, better. And, and, and this is like kind of I'm going to, I'm going to jump on it to a different topic real quick. Cool. And, and just, just a quick side note. I know we're both drinking from like nice cups here. You know, I, I love your share a meal concept. I know we can't share a meal, but we're sharing, we're sharing a beverage. Maybe we're in, in that realm right now then. <laughs> we are doing it right now. And I love the way that we started this all off just so that everybody who is here right now knows we both jumped on this zoom. We were a little bit late to it. And I said, okay, listen, I really need to go and get a cup of coffee before we begin. And Jesse said, well, I need to get a cup of tea because of course that's what you do. And so <laughs> but I, 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 you might know or not know uh, Roy boss. Do you have Roy boss in, um, in the States? It's, it's oh. a South African tea. It's um, Roy boss is, is red bush. And actually it's got, I'll send you a little thing on it, but it's um, high in antioxidants. It's great for your sleep. It's, it's again, a really like nerdy tea, but it's um, yeah, it's got no caffeine. It's, it's unbelievable. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll send you a little thing on Roy boss. I, I have, I have something that's full of caffeine, so much caffeine. It's really not that good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had my full caffeine earlier. So don't worry. I'm, I'm in my kind of getting my chill mode on. <laughs> but we said to each other, like break right now. We both went and Jesse made his cup of tea. I made my cup of coffee and we came back with it. And you know what? That is bonding. We just bonded. Cheers. Cheers. Over our <laughs> drinks. And that is share a meal. Like, doesn't that just open up so many more pet doors? Like, we just feel like we're like sitting here chatting now. We have our, our drinks and, and you can do this even, I mean, obviously with a meal and, and that's 
this is a good segue because I was wanted to talk about like team sports have team meals before events. Individual sports, they have to take care of themselves. And mm. they, you know, it, it could be lonely. It could be eating in the room four hours before uh, a game and you're just kind of sitting and you, you need to be ready and you need to embrace that meal and know the purpose of it because it is pregame. You are going to have to have something refuel. You have to pack your bag. So when you go, uh, you have your routine of what you're going to eat right before, what you're going to eat, drink, think in between, and then what you're going to recover with. You have to have all of this there. And you are the person who's taking care of this, especially in a game like squash. You don't have the resources that mm -hmm. other large professional teams have you're in charge of yourself how do you keep yourself on track doing the right things then incredibly difficult great question as well because yeah the uh nothing is laid on for you as a, as a squash player like and squash so niche there's there's not a lot of money involved you know even even the people that have been in the top 10 for several years can't retire on their earnings it's it's so small and niche so um not easy. I, again, as a pro player as well at a much lower level. Yeah, it, it was hard, you know, touring all these countries, not getting it right. Um, I think what I'm finding now, even with, with like professionals that aren't even that high up, they do have a team around them. A lot of people are building a team, a support network around them with like for myself, for example, I, I, you know, mentor several of pros and teenagers. So I feel like I'm, you know, not their accountability partner, but part of their team. Okay. I'm obviously working the mind. So my suggestion would be a couple of things would be let's assume an athlete can build a team around them. And it might not even be a nutritionist team or a mental team, just the friends and family and, mm -hmm. and having conversations with them around about things they might be struggling with things that they aren't getting right. If we're talking about a meal at different points and you know what, just the odd little reminder, the odd little suggestion from their friends and family. Um, if they've obviously got someone more, kind of serious, like a nutritionist on their team or a, you know, kind of a mentor or a performance coach, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Maybe, you know, even if they're in a foreign country, there's that check-in going, okay, it's 4.30 now, you know, Joe blogs, um, like what, what, what are you eating? Can you just kind of show me what you, you know, without yeah. being too heavy, a little bit of an accountability partner. So I think that makes it slightly easier, not an ideal solution, but probably the best you can have. Um, and, and before I carry on, there's obviously a big acceptance. There's an acceptance that you are an individual sport. You are fending for yourself. You are a little bit like, right, I'm out here touring the world and changing my flights. So yeah. then the second thing would be, again, back to back to the, the tools, back to the idea of like what's important in your life. Like what is important? Like if you want to be a performer, if you want to be get to that world ranking, let's say you need to get to top 100 and you've identified all the things going down to the pixels, like I said, and one of the pixels is, is nutrition. My nutrition is not great and it's variable. That's when you, you become much more intentional. You start to make it a habit. You, you do actually train yourself to get to the point of going, right, at a tournament, and you again, you could even work out a bit of a formula. At seven o'clock, I'm playing. I know, I don't know what it like. Everyone's like, give me three and a half hours it's before. Three o'clock, yeah. Three yeah, o'clock yeah, is, is your big meal. There we go. So, you know, like going right. And, and just if you if you do want to take it seriously, I think you go to that, that amount of effort to do it. If you don't, that's great. But again, like yeah. I said, your habits and behaviors are not aligned. If you want to be a top 100 player, but your behaviors are, 
I'll eat whenever and eat whatever at tournaments. That's not how a top 100 player behaves. It and that's and that's even anyone listening that doesn't have a mental coach, hopefully whatever sport you're in or in the office, whatever, that is the kind of the conversation you have. And if you're okay with having meals at sloppy times, that's cool. But then yeah. you need to realign your goals. That's how I think I'll do it if I didn't have a support network or I just even mention it to someone in passing in a way. Yeah, and, and that that's the way to do it. Mm. Plan it out, do the timing, have everything prepared. You know, when you go to a new country, day one, you're walking around looking for where you're going to get your food from because you don't, you don't leave it to the last minute, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and, and it's not an afterthought. It's a pre-thought. Mm-hmm. These are the things that have to be set up for you. So like, you know, suggestions that I have for uh, world travelers is take a loaf of bread and peanut butter on the road with you so that you always have it and your bars and like be prepared from the beginning so that you 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 can't go to bed hungry that ruins your sleep right like what are you going to do to make sure that you're getting that proper sleep it it all is interwoven you yeah. cannot leave one piece of it out if you want to be the best exactly that that and if if that's not what people want that's cool as well that's great that's like cool. no yeah, problem yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. but if, but, but if someone comes to you do it but you can't mm. complain you're not the best if exactly. you're not if- the best. If someone seeks you out or myself or a coach out saying, hey, I want to, this is my vision and journey, but, and then all of a sudden there's a a breaking of the contract, so to speak, or like, it's like, well, actually like you're saying these things, but your actions, behaviors don't do it. You know, what's that famous Navy SEAL quote? You know, you don't under pressure, you don't rise to the level of your expectations, you fall to the level of your habits and behaviors. So, which means like, you can think you're going to like go to pressure and get to this amazing point, but actually when the pressure really hits, you are falling to your level of your habits and behaviors. Okay, what the Navy SEAL do is they try to line both those things together. Yeah. So exactly, so like my expectations are to survive this firefight or whatever. Okay, have I trained myself that my instincts take over in that moment? That's what I'm trying to get a lot of my players I work with thinking like going, okay, you might want to be this, but you're only going to fall to what you've inputted. You're only going to use the pathway that you've actually carved out in your mental map in a way. You're the second person that I've spoken to this week that brought uh, Navy SEALs into the conversation. Who was the other one? Who was the other one? What what, what was the conversation based on? The conversation was was really the same, building Mm. habits, doing the right things to to achieve highest level of of, uh, performance. And this this was with a, a, a chiropractor that I was talking to, an acupuncturist, and and nice. because I was really saying like, and when I found out that he was a chiropractor, my obsession with being cracked and I love hearing <laughs> the crack sound. Oh, and, do you? No oh, worries. I just am. If you saw my Facebook, oh, it's an embarrassment. <laughs> I watched so many cracks and I said, I just want to be cracked like that. And his response was, you're, you're, it might not even help. Like I can make you feel better without feeling that crack. And my response was, I don't believe you because I need to hear it to know that it it worked. But but then we got into like the Navy SEALs and it's actually, we need to get to the root of the problem. Why does Jack feel that way? Is it really, well, what, you know, root of the problem, change those behaviors, make changes in your habits, stretch every day, whatever it is, everything that I don't want to do because I just want to be cracked and be healed. Same with us. I mean, all of us, we're all kind of, looking exactly. for that quick way and and there is no fast track mm. so, no fast- 
on that, it's a little kind of experiment I've been running with myself. I'm, I'm calling it the magpie effect. So um, the magpie likes the bright, shiny thing, the magpie bird. It always sees it and it goes to it. It's like instantaneously the bright, shiny thing. And what I'm personally trying to do is challenge myself. When I feel that bright, shiny thing, oh, there's a cool distraction here. There's a cool project just landed in my inbox or someone's asked me to do this. And I, of course I can get excited by it, but I just try to stop and check for a second going, hmm, is that that shallow high? You know, is that the thing that, is, is the bright, shiny magpie that actually might not be the right thing for kind of taking me on the vision I want to go on, where my journey I want to start to kind of, you know, forge that path. So yeah, it's just, I, I'm not sure kind of if I'll go any well, not further with it, but yeah, it's just, I just like that idea. If something appears in your periphery, that's really bright and shiny, often, you know, the pizza, the donut, it tastes immediately good. It tastes great. But the more something is great in the moment, Actually, they might be the things that are the exact opposite for our long-term benefits and our long-term gains. Or maybe learn how to share a meal. That's great. So like sometimes you need to give yourself that fix of that magpie moment, but you don't need a lot of something to do that. So that that comes back to like, you know, if you if you don't allow yourself to do whatever it is. And we'll just use the donut because it's like, you know, people get get it. If you don't allow yourself to have the donut, don't you like really want the donut then? You like really, really need the donut now. But what if you could have only half the donut and you feel like, okay, I feel proud of myself because I got to have a donut. I'm not restricting myself. So I'm not overthinking that I need this donut. I satisfied that need for it, but I didn't do it to indulgence. I did it to satisfy. And sometimes you need that bite-sized pieces, small bags, portions. You don't need a lot. And I think that's really where this world has gotten to. Just Amazing. too much of everything. Carbohydrates are not bad for you. Too much is. Fat is not bad for you. Too much is. Too much of anything. I don't care if you only eat carrots. You will, it'll still be bad for you. You will turn orange. You turn orange from eating too many carrots. So, you know, everything Balance. has a downside. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good advice. Again, probably I'm maybe a bit guilty when I get into that. Yeah. I, I, I want to get that right. That behavior, that habit is like bang guy rail was so strictly on. And it's like, I'm doing, and yet look, it's worked out good to certain things, but yes, I think there, there needs to be some flex and balance. So yeah. Great advice there. Flex. Yeah. So it comes back to that neuroplasticity, being yes. able to make decisions and go with what feels good and does well at the same time. And I think there's a balance. There's a balance there. Mm. The hardest thing is complete restriction. I mean, right, you must know that that also leads people down the wrong yeah. path. Yeah, totally. Like, and I, I'd never prescribe that or, or kind of one of my tools wouldn't be like, this is the only thing you have to do. And if you kind of go away from it, we never talk again and forget. It's like, of course not. But yes, there's, there's you know, as a coach as well, so not just a mental coach, but actually on court, you've got to understand the carrots and the stick. Like, when do you, when do you kind of give the carrot? When do you give the stick, you know? And it's certain, you know, that's, that's where you read the person. You understand like right now, they just need an arm around their shoulder. Actually in two weeks, they're on a good high and they're just being a bit lazy. Here comes the stick. You're like, yeah, get back on it. So yeah, it's again, maybe 
sometimes the individual can't see that themselves. That's why having that support network and that team can also help. I got to tell you, that's a really important skill for coaches to know when you push somebody and when you just back off and give them the support that they need. Every day doesn't have to be the same. Every day doesn't have to reach the same goals. And, and sometimes I feel like young, ambitious people want you know, to stick to those black and white rules of accomplishing certain things. Whereas as you are in it for a while, you begin to see the variances and, and how yeah. there are days that you just, you just need to put your goals aside and reach the goal of the player. Love yeah. It. Love it. Same, same with nutrition, you know, it's all the same. Listen, what do you have to leave me with? Give me your, give me something, something to leave me with right here. Yeah, um, it's probably more because I think I've I've said a lot of the stuff that I'm really passionate about, really dedicated about. Um, I suppose the, the thing to leave you with is similar to what we just started talking about there. Um, I talk to athletes at certain times about being kind to themselves. You know, mental health is a huge thing, and I'm glad we're speaking about it a lot more. There's a lot of times I'm speaking to young teenage athletes and seasoned professionals. And being kind to themselves doesn't come into the equation sometimes. It's like, it's never good enough and I'm not good enough and I'm, I need to be further along the line. And um, something that I, I talk a lot about, and I'll probably, I'll leave it with this, is the idea of comparison. Comparison is such a, a great and terrible thing at the same time. As soon as you're comparing yourself to others, it's the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. Huh. What you've got to keep trying to find, in my opinion, is compare yourself to who you were yesterday, compare yourself to the, the person and the journey that you are on. How can you run your own race? And actually different days and different times, you've got to be kind to yourself. You've got to go, actually, it ain't been a good couple of days. And I'm okay with that. I, I don't need to turn up. And, you know, we want to, we want to pluck up the A pluses every time we do something. But actually what I find the best athletes and the most well put together people do, they strive for A plus, but they accept B minus a lot. They accept, yeah, I might be going through periods of B minus and it's okay. It's cool. They don't live in this, this kind of the ultimate highs and the down of the lows. They live in more of a bandwidth that's a little bit more neutral. And I think that skill of the comparison tool, because yeah, I kind of learned this, Michael Phelps talked about this, that is all about him running his own race. Like he did what he needed to do on a daily basis when he got in the pool, when he was competing at the highest level of the Olympics, he ran his own race. And a part of that journey, he talks about his mental health that yes, he wasn't so good at being kind to himself, being compassionate at the right times. So yeah, if anyone listening resonates with that, hopefully you do that. It's okay just to de decompress, de-escalate and, and just not get it right a few times. Get a few, few B minuses and that's cool. I love that. That's so good, Jesse. Everyone needs to hear that. Jesse Engelbrecht here, he was fantastic. I'm so glad that we connected and this was just a great discussion. We're going to do it again and we might even break these down into like 10 minute little talks, which I absolutely love that too. Sports mind, sports athlete, here he is and talking about share a meal. Jesse, thank you so much. And um, yeah, I hope that you have a great day and you have a great event coming up tonight. So I'm going to be on for that. And I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. So, and just a final thank you for, for you putting this out into the world, making the effort to do it. More of these conversations need to happen. Share a meal. I'm going to get right behind it. I've learned a hell of a lot. You're an incredible host. You're only going to go in the right direction. So thank you so much for your time today as well. Thanks, Jesse.